You're listening to Asia First Weekend Edition this Sunday morning with me, Justine Moss. A very good morning to you. Crossing now to Simon Marks, our U.S. Bureau Chief in Washington, D.C. Hi, Simon. Hello, Justine. Thanks again for joining us here. Let's start off with uh, something we chatted about briefly yesterday. Um, President Biden, he's spending the weekend in Delaware. After that failure to get his, uh, you know, two big pieces of uh, spending legislature passed, what's now going to happen next, uh, Simon? Well, the way the White House tells it, uh, the president is absolutely spending the weekend and the first few days of next week pushing hard to try and get both the infrastructure bill and his much bigger public spending bill through Congress. Indeed, we received a statement from White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki uh, just a few hours ago saying that the president and his team will continue close engagement with members of both the House and the Senate. And he looks forward not only to welcoming members of Congress to the White House next week, but also traveling the country to make the case for his bold and ambitious agenda. But there is no question that the big uh, question that's being asked in Washington this weekend is, has he lost his chance? Has the opportunity to get these things passed now passed him by? Remember that this time last week, the White House was absolutely projecting Uh, the week that was about to begin as make or break in terms of these two key pillars uh, of the president's domestic uh, agenda, his plan to spend money in very large measure to help bring the country out uh, of the economic dislocation created by COVID-19, but also, of course, in terms of the infrastructure bill to improve America's uh, infrastructure based on the need to do so after uh, decades of relative neglect. But there There is tremendous anger among the president's fellow moderate Democrats in Congress who wanted to see him pushing much harder uh, than he did, not just when he went up to the House of Representatives and the Senate on Friday to meet uh, with Democrats in a last uh, ditch effort to try and get this legislation through. They wanted to see a lot more action earlier. So looking at the uh, New York Times Uh, Sunday edition, Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy of Florida, a moderate Democrat who was uh, counting on the president to help bring this legislation across the finishing line, is quoted as saying, the way he is governing doesn't reflect the skills I know he must have from his years as a legislature, uh, as a legislator. She called Mr. Biden's refusal to push harder for legislation he had embraced disappointing and frustrating. Uh, That is a reflection of the fact uh, that some Democrats believe that he should have been working much harder, much earlier uh, to try and forge a compromise between left wing Democrats and uh, more conservative Democrats on Capitol Hill. I'm not clear why he came up to the hill she told the newspaper. Uh, So there are evident difficulties that the president has now with core moderates uh, in the House of Representatives who will be asking, I think, whether the opportunity to try and forge that consensus uh, has passed. The president, of course, insisted that he's going to get this done, but precisely how he's going to get it done remains very unclear.
Simon, let's go to uh, France and the US now and that uh, sort of damaged uh, relationship. French Foreign Minister uh, Jean-Yves Le Drian is now holding talks uh, with United States Secretary of State uh, Antony Blinken on Tuesday. Um, two countries aiming to rebuild those uh, diplomatic ties in, in the wake, of course, of that uh, lo- loss of a lucrative submarine contract. Yeah, and I think it's important to underscore the fact that the French have secured considerable backing that many American observers did not believe they were going to secure from the European position for expressing fury towards the Biden administration. The French, of course, claim they have been stabbed in the back by the United States and Britain, uh, two countries that they accuse of plotting to undo Uh, France's largest single defence contract, which was with the Australian government to provide diesel-powered submarines to uh, Canberra in the event, of course, the Australians chose uh, to go with the quieter nuclear-powered submarines that the uh, the Americans and the British uh, are now uh, pledged to provide to them. But France remains deeply unhappy about that. Now, there have been some positive moves in the last week. We saw the return to Washington of the French ambassador, uh, who, uh, in, in an unprecedented move, was recalled to Paris by uh, a seething French president, Emmanuel Macron. Never happened before. Uh, and, you know, bear in mind, France is the country that gifted the United States its national symbol, the Statue of Liberty. So pulling the ambassador back was uh, quite an extraordinary move for the French to take. Now, Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, travelling to Paris to continue trying to put the relationship back together. There were meetings at the State Department uh, with the French ambassador this week. He uh, expressed the view that he was very clear about what needed to be done and that there was a desire to try and rebuild the relationship. But creating an atmosphere of trust between particularly President Macron and President Biden is going to be very difficult. Remember, it was only uh, in June that the two of them sat on the seafront in Cornwall at the G7 summit uh, with President Biden backslapping Emmanuel Macron. Everything seemed to be absolutely uh, happy as you could imagine. But we now know and the French now know that at no point during that conversation did President Biden disclose to Emmanuel Macron, that the Americans were about to pull the rug out from beneath that defence deal with Australia. So, uh, you know, there are voices that say, well, the French should have seen this coming, and, and there may be some truth to that. But certainly the failure of President Biden personally uh, to whisper in Emmanuel Macron's ear and give him a heads up mm-hmm. about what was coming has seriously diminished their relationship. And whether it's ever going to be possible fully to put the pieces back together. Very unclear at this point. Yeah, remains to be seen. You're listening to Asia First Weekend Edition this Sunday morning. Me, Justine Moss, speaking to Simon Marks, our US Bureau Chief in Washington, D.C. Simon, women's rights advocates uh, joined those 660 marches around the U.S. uh, Saturday, your time, uh, to protest against those uh, efforts to restrict abortion access, uh, including that, of course, that Texas uh, law that we again spoke about yesterday that bans abortions after about six weeks. Lots of marches happening. Yeah, lots of marches happening. And that is uh, redolent of what we were talking about yesterday, which is that for grassroots Democrat supporters, 
This is a lightning rod, uh, this move by Texas to introduce the so-called heartbeat law, the most restrictive anti-abortion law in the country. Uh, and it's also a reminder, not that Democrats really needed it, uh, that this is going to be a politically potent issue uh, in the midterm elections that will be taking place in November of 2022. And also, of course, the next presidential election in 2024. Uh, these demonstrations uh, aimed at First of all, communicating total opposition to the move that Texas and the moves that some other states uh, have taken to restrict the availability uh, of abortion. But here in Washington, D.C., you also had demonstrators marching to the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, because there in the term that is about to begin, the nine justices are going to be looking at a Mississippi case. Uh, that may result in the justices deciding to overturn that landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade case that made abortion, abortion effectively legal on a national level. So uh, the Mississippi case is going to be very, very closely watched, especially now you have uh, a majority of justices sitting on the Supreme Court who were uh, sent to the Supreme Court by Republican presidents. Uh, and the Texas case, which, as we said yesterday, almost certainly going to end up, not the Texas case, rather, the Texas law, almost certainly going to end up at some point being considered by the Supreme Court. So once again, uh, you know, a reminder that abortion is a lightning rod social issue in the United States, and it's going to be a big part of political activity here over at least the next four years. Mm. Simon, let's uh, go to former President Donald Trump now. He has asked a federal federal judge in Florida to force Twitter to reinstate his account. Of course, uh, that was uh, cancelled in, in January. He says it's uh, under pressure from his political rivals in Congress. Yeah, I, I would just make an overarching point uh, about Donald Trump and messaging, which is that for the vast majority of people listening, obviously, they don't have access to the thoughts of Donald Trump on a continuing basis because he's no longer on Twitter, denied access to his account there and no longer on Facebook. Um, those of us who are reporters here in Washington, D.C., I can assure you are in no doubt about what Donald Trump has to say on a whole variety of issues, because if you took a glance at my uh, email inbox, I would say that on an average day, I probably get 10 messages a day from uh, the office of President Donald Trump, many of them just three or four lines <laughs> long. They look and read a lot like the kind of thing that he used to post on Twitter. Uh, so the messaging is out there, but it's not publicly out there. And so this case by President Trump, uh, this injunction that he's filed, uh, is designed to try and overturn the ban uh, that has been posed on him, imposed on him by Twitter. And he argues that Twitter is censoring him by banning him indefinitely from the company. The uh, lawsuit claims that Twitter exercises a degree of power and control over political discourse in this country that is immeasurable, historically unprecedented and profoundly dangerous to open democratic debate. Uh, the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, with its freedom of speech uh, cadences, 
is something that clearly President Trump's lawyers will be pointing to as they try to overturn this ban. Twitter will equally point to its rules of the road uh, that prevent uh, hate speech, um, any kind of incitement to violence, which they accuse Donald Trump of having engaged in in the run up to the January 6th insurrection in Congress. But it's certainly going to be interesting to watch Uh, this case and to see where it heads. And it is indicative of the fact that Donald Trump perhaps doesn't just want to be back on Twitter because he wants everyone listening to this to be able to access his messaging on a daily, even hourly basis. He also might really want to be back on Twitter because he's thinking of running for the presidency again in 2024 and not being on that social media platform or Facebook would be potentially hazardous to what we believe are his ongoing political ambitions. And anything could happen. Simon, let's uh, just end with some climate change uh, news. During a pre-COP26 meeting in, in Milan, US climate envoy John Kerry, he's saying that the world's major economies must stretch to do more at uh, next month's UN climate talks to show that they are really serious about wanting to tackle global warming. Yeah, it's interesting that John Kerry is the one member of the president's inner circle in this cabinet level position of climate envoy, completely untouched by the disaster in Afghanistan. Um, You know, the only sort of foreign policy official uh, who continues to fly high in the sky without any great anxieties about whether he's still going to be around uh, for very much longer. He's certainly going to be in place for COP26, which takes place in Glasgow in November. He said in Milan today that the uh, summit needs to produce a new level of transparency and accountability. He told the Youth for Climate Summit, which has been taking place over the last several days uh, in Milan, and it's been a real opportunity for young climate change activists to come face to face with senior government figures uh, from scores of countries, including uh, John Kerry, in a bid to try and come up with some recommendations that will then be taken to the COP26 meeting. Uh, The Secretary of State said that he believed that global targets to reduce greenhouse gas emissions are doable. We believe we can make enormous progress in Glasgow, he said, moving rapidly towards the new goals that science is telling us we must achieve. I think it is worth reminding people that this is the same event in Milan that heard uh, an extraordinary speech from teenage climate activist Greta Thunberg earlier in the week, where she seemed directly to criticise the Biden administration and the government of Prime Minister Boris Johnson, which, of course, will be hosting the COP26 summit, accusing them, as she put it, of blah, blah, blah on climate change and failing to deliver concrete achievements. Well, John Kerry certainly seemed to have ended that Milan meeting, suggesting that those concrete achievements are within reach. She will be out there at COP26 in Glasgow, holding him and all the others to account if that proves not to be the case. Simon, thank you so much once again for speaking to us here in Singapore and keeping us updated. Thanks, Justine.